one. This is midweek. This is, you know, back in the day we used to call it Bible study. Bible study. And uh, it's kind of lost its flavor a little bit. I mean, I love to study the Bible, but, you know, so, you know, you don't want to, you know, come in from a hard day, hard week. You've probably been studying all day. Your kids have been studying all day. Last thing you want to do is study. And I don't want this to be a drudgery to you. I don't want this to feel, uh, you know, boring. Uh, you know, the word of God is never boring. Um, but, you know, sometimes it's not so much what the word of God has, but it's our perspective of it. It's the presentation of it. And so uh, we want to do everything we can tonight uh, to excite you, to encourage you, to edify you. Edify simply means to strengthen, to build up, and to encourage. To strengthen, to build up, and to encourage. So I don't know about you, but I don't want to come to church and be uh, weakened, torn down, and discouraged. Anybody come tonight to be weakened, torn down, or just no, no hands? None at all. Okay. So I would assume that you came tonight so that you could be strengthened, encouraged, and built up. And that's what we want to do today. And so... Here in Genesis chapter 1, a very familiar passage, very familiar verse. We've seen it before. Then God said in verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. We've seen this before. This is the creation of God. God has just spent the last 25 verses creating the planet, creating this world, creating uh, everything that you see. The Bible tells us that everything that you can see was created by God and everything you cannot see was created by God. So uh, this is all here because uh, God put it here. But then we get to verse 26 and we discover that you and I were put here by God himself. You are God's personal investment. You are God's personal investment to the earth. Uh, When he created the earth, he did not see it complete with trees and with oceans and with dry land and with animals. He said, I need something, someone to govern all that, to rule over all that. And all of that will flourish based upon what happens in verse 26. Notice that everything that happened from verses 1 through 25 hinges hinges on verse 26, the existence of man. So what takes place in this earth is to be governed by you and I. I know that we've heard for so long, for so many years, that God is in control. And God is in control. God is a sovereign being. That means that there's uh, nothing that you can do uh, that can necessarily change his mind, so to speak. Um, But there is one thing that God is more in control of than anything else in this world, and it's his word. It's his word. Because of the fact that God is sovereign and because of the fact that God, uh, we know the Bible tells us that God is a man that cannot lie, whatever he says has to happen. And however he ordains something to operate, is what it will do. It, it, will, it will do exactly what he says it will do. So he creates man, and he says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. And he goes on over all the earth. Dominion means to govern. 
it means to rule and it means to manage. That's literally what those what that word means. Dominion, when you take dominion of something, if you take dominion of your business or if you take dominion of your home or if you take dominion uh, of your family, if you take dominion of your finances, you are governing, you are managing, and you are ruling. That's what you're doing. And so man was designed here at the very beginning, from the beginning of this entire story, of the beginning of this entire journey of the existence of mankind, man was designed to rule. You know, if God designs it, he defines it. If God designs it, he defines it. That means we don't have the right to redefine what God designs. We don't have that right. The creator, the manufacturer, the one that put it into existence is the only one that has the right to define how it should operate, how things should take place, what it's supposed to look like, what it's supposed to accomplish, what the expectation. God designed marriage. So we don't have the right to redefine what God designs. He designed it. He's the one that created. This is not a man-made idea. Adam and Eve weren't just placed at opposite ends of the garden and then ran into each other one day and said, "Mm, I need to get married to that. I think marriage would be an awesome concept right now. No, that was God's idea. God took woman from man and said, you need a helpmate. You need someone to come alongside you and help you accomplish your work. And the two of you will become one flesh. And marriage was created. And he created marriage for a man and for a woman. And he created things to operate only within the marriage. So if we're doing things that are designed for the marriage and we're trying to do it outside of the marriage, it's not going to work the same way because God designed it. Therefore, he defines it. And we can't step in and say, well, you know, I think I can make it work. I think I can make this relationship work. Even though we're not married, we can, be, we can, we can live together. We can do things together that we're not supposed to. Do. I think I can. No, we as mankind can't step in and make that happen. God designed it. He defines it. So we have to. We have to make sure that as we're going through his word, we see the way he wants it to operate. And so we see that man was designed to operate with dominion. Now, this is not a, 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 a popular idea. Now, I know we all have an innate desire to want to control things and want to dominate things and want to be able to speak to things and see things change like Jesus did. We all would love to be in the middle of a storm, to be in the middle of, of, of a great turmoil going on around us and do what Jesus said and just simply stand up and say, peace be still. But yet we bow at the notion that that's actually possible. Yet we, we, we shy away from the thought that we can dominate and rule and govern the very way that God designed us to rule and dominate and govern. And so now, instead of dominating the world around us, we are being dominated by the world around us. The world tells us what to do. The world tells us how to do things. The world uh, tells our bodies when it's sick and when it's not. The world tells our finances when it's empty and when it's a lot. The world tells us when we can do something and when we can't do it. We, we now live dominated by the very thing we are supposed to be exercising dominion over. Why is this? So I like to get to the root issue. And I believe there's a root issue, a 
root issue that uh, tonight we're not going to be able to unveil all of it. But if we look at the proper order, and I, I, I believe the order is important in this verse because I think it sets the priority. You know what priority is, right? Priority is how you determine what comes first. Priority is how we determine what's more important than something else. So if we were to go after dominion, if we were to say, I'm going to go and I'm going to get my dominion back, I'm going to go and get my authority back. But yet, that's the second thing on the list. That's not the first thing. There's something else that is listed before we even get to dominion. The first thing that God says is he says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So that tells me that my dominion is subject to my identity. My dominion is subject to my identity. And and you can put it this way. When God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, he is telling you who you are. That's the first thing he covers with man. That's the first thing that takes place here is he tells man who he is. Likeness, image. In fact, these words, uh, you know, they, we can define these. The word image in the, Greek, or in, the, in the Hebrew here is defined shade. You ever seen the, the shade or the shadow of an image? It moves in sync. With the thing that it's a shadow of. It bears the exact same image of the thing that it is representing. There's no difference. There's no, uh, there, there's, you, you can't look at the, the shade of the leaf on the ground, the shadow of the leaf on the ground, and look up and find five points here and seven points up there. It's not going to happen. If we had a shadow, I'm sure there's a shadow of me right now on this wall. So, you Notice that, my, notice that my arm, that was easy. That's a built-in representation right there, built-in example. So you, you notice my arm on the wall is not moving out of sync with my arm attached to my body. Now, it's just a shadow. It's not actually me. I'm the, I'm the force that's making that thing move and making that thing generate. But you notice that, I mean, wouldn't that be so weird right now if the arm on the wall just went down by its side and I'm still standing here like this? We would all be looking for the other thing that's casting that shadow. That would be pretty creepy right now. But we know that's not going to happen. We know that's not possible because it is the image of me. It says shade, uh, illusion. It says resemblance. It goes on to say this about image, a representative figure. A representative figure. And then likeness, likeness doesn't necessarily speak to like facial features and height and hair color and skin color and all those kind of things. Obviously, we know that, that, uh, uh, you know, there would be some major issues with that if we were all made in God's physical likeness, but yet we all look so contrastly different. How is that possible? No, because likeness speaks to function or operation of a thing. 
So when it says that we are made in the likeness of God, it's literally saying we are made to function and operate just like God in this earth. That's what those two words mean. Image means a representative figure. It means the shade or the shadow of a, of a thing. But then likeness speaks to my operation. That means if God says it, I say it. If God does it, I do it. That means if God doesn't do it, I don't do it. You see what I'm saying? It's how we function. How would God respond to that situation? That's the way I should respond to that situation. Now, this, again, is all the way back in Genesis chapter 1. This is the very beginning. This is the beginning of man. Sometimes if you want to know the real purpose for something or what something was really designed for or, or what its intent was from the beginning, you've got to go all the way back. We can't, go, we can't just go to Matthew. We can't just go to the cross. We can't just go back to, well, Jesus, you know, died for my sin. You know, most of the people, most uh, uh, believers have an, a, an improper view of who Jesus is because they didn't go back far enough. But John chapter 1, he takes us all the way back. Verse 1, in the beginning, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. So what's that telling me? Jesus isn't just flesh man walking around on this earth. He was the word of God that existed all the way at the beginning. When's the beginning? The beginning. When this all started. And the great thing about God is he has no beginning and he has no end. He has no beginning. Don't try to comprehend that. We'll be here all day trying to figure that one out. But there's no beginning. He doesn't have a starting point. He, can't, he doesn't have a timeline that he can go back to and say, this is where it all, but you and I do. And on the, at the beginning of our timeline, mankind, this is what it says. Let us make man in our image, a representative of, and according to our likeness, something to function and operate just like us. So in essence, what God is doing is he is placing man in the earth to do exactly what he would do in heaven. He's placed man in the earth. To operate in the earth the same exact way he operates in heaven. This is why Jesus said over in Matthew chapter 6 when he taught his disciples to pray in verses 9 through 13. He said, uh, this is how you need to pray. Hallowed Father, or uh, uh, our Father who art in heaven, in heaven, how would be your name? And then he goes on to say, thy kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's why Jesus prayed that prayer. What's he praying? Genesis 1, 26. Why? Because God never, from Genesis 1 all the way to today, has never changed his mind and never will. His intention for man in Genesis 1, 26 is still his intention for man today. To rule and to dominate and to govern this earth. But we know that there were some dynamics that came into play that made that a little difficult. But I want us to look at something and keep on going in verse uh, 27, it says, so God created man in his own image. Look at this. In the image of God, he created him. So man is created in whose image? It's, it's easy question. It's not, it's not tricky. Man was created in whose image? God's image. In the image of God. To look like, function, operate just like God. God, male and female, he created them. So he says both are supposed to be in charge of the earth, not just one or the other, 
male and female, are both designed with the same intention to rule, to reign, to govern on the earth. We see this. Well, I believe that the root of all issues today, again, we've got to get to the root. We've got to get to the bottom of it. You ever heard someone say that? We're going to get to the bottom of this. That means that they're tired of playing around with all the surface stuff. We need to get down to where is this all generating from? Where's all, where is all this coming from? Why is man not operating in the dominion and the authority? Why are we not seeing believers operate the way God originally intended in Genesis chapter 1? The root is our identity. So for the next several weeks, I just simply want to cover a subject, not super catchy, not super crazy, but I'm just going to talk about the identity crisis. We're going to talk about the identity crisis because I believe, I believe based upon this verse, before God wants you to do something, he wants you to know something. Before God gave us something to do, God gave us who we are. Going back to Genesis 1, 26, 27, 28. Before God told you what to do, he told you who you are. And I believe, I believe that if we can get these back in priority, back in the right order, that we will see the operation of the church the way we are ought to operate. But it's our identity that is hindering it or the lack of identity that we have. That is hindering us. Because here's the thing. If you don't know who you are, you don't know what to do. If you don't know who you are, you don't know what to do. That doesn't mean you won't be busy. That doesn't mean you might not be successful in the, in, in the world's eyes and in man's eyes. That doesn't mean you, 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 you'll, you'll get from one point to the other and just look back and it's a bunch of, uh, you know, that you won't have anything to look back on. I'm just saying you won't know what to do. You won't know the right thing to do. One of the greatest tragedies is life is people that are busy in the wrong assignment. One of the greatest dangers in our life is people that are busy but ineffective. Man, I would hate to get to the end of my life and recognize that I was busy. I was doing things. I was knowing people. I was making money. I was looking successful. But then I get before Jesus and he said, yeah, but that was all a waste. Even Paul said, everything that I knew and everything that I did prior to knowing Jesus, what I counted as dung. I counted as poop, he says. Waste. Good for nothing except to be expelled from the body. That's, that's the way he put it. Before I knew Jesus. Before I came to know who I am in Christ Jesus. There's an identity crisis. So it would, it would tell me then if priority is of importance to God. And we know two chapters later man falls in sin. Then I believe prior, or identity is important to the devil. Stealing man's identity. Taking man's If he knows. Because see here's the, here's the thing. Here's the thing. The devil is afraid you will find out who you really are. You realize that? I, I, I don't have time for church that's on its heels. 
trying to fight off the devil. The church is on the offensive. And if we ever figure out who we are, he's the one that ought to be on the run. He's the one that ought to be on his heels trying to hold us off. He's the one that the Bible says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. That means the church is tearing down the gates of hell. And they will not prevail against the power of the church. But it's a church that knows its identity. It's a people, it's a group that knows who they are in Christ. And I believe a lot of the root issues that we see as believers, just spiritually speaking, and it carries over into the natural, is due to the fact that we just have never figured out who we really are. But if we could find out, look at this in Genesis chapter 3. Let's find out how this all broke down, how this all fell apart. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. God never said you couldn't touch it. She threw that in there, just like a woman to add in details, right? Make it bigger than it really is. That's okay. You also notice this is why women have a hard time picking a place to eat. Because the last time they picked a place to eat, well, you see what happened. So men just picked a place to eat because there's no telling what might happen if we leave that in the hands. Okay. Hey, this is precedent-setting events here, man. This, I didn't do it. It's, I didn't write this. Okay? That's what it says. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Watch this. This is amazing. For God knows that in the day you will eat of it. Your eyes will be opened. And look at these next words. And you will be like God. Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, when you take the bite of fruit, you will be like God. Like God. I mean, isn't, isn't that what we base identity around today? I want to be like. I want to be like. When I was growing up, it was all about I want to be like Mike. Jordans, I see Aaron back there. You got to get the Jordans, man. Why? It's identity. I got, I got the Jordans on, man. I got, I'm, I'm, I got to be like Mike. That's the commercial. That's my identity. And so now we wrap ourselves with the external things that identify us. And so the serpent here is not, watch this, is not tempting Eve with fruit. He's tempting her with identity. See, if you get if you get all balled up, well, it was just a piece of fruit. I mean, we could have gotten fruit off of any tree. Eve, why'd you do that? No, it was deeper than that. It was what the fruit represented. And the fruit of the fruit, the result of eating the fruit was, I will be like God. He's not tempting Eve with fruit. He's 
tempting Eve with identity. But here's the crazy part that I, that, that I just get hung up on. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. So you're going to tell me that the devil tempted Eve with something she already had. The devil tempted Eve with something she already was. An identity that she already secured. Now, this is cool. Watch this. Adam and Eve, male and female, when they were created in Genesis chapter 1, 26, 27, 28, did not have to do anything to become the image of God. They were just created that way. So now the devil is trying to get them to work out something externally to gain access to something that they already have internally. What does that sound like to you? Sounds like religion to me. That sounds like where the Pharisees were. Working out to become something that God already created you to be. Now, out of who they were, it doesn't mean they could just frolic around the garden naked, eating fruit all the time. They had a job to do. There was still obedience that they had to uphold to God. They still had to submit to the king. Even though they're governing, even though they're ruling, even though they're managing, they're in charge. They still have to submit to God because you cannot be in charge if you can't submit to the one in charge. You can't be in authority if you can't operate under authority. So the second they remove themselves out from under submission to God, they lost their authority. And we go on to see that God speaks to the, the, the snake. And we know that this serpent ends up becoming what we know of today, the God of this world or the ruler of this world. He is in control of what we see externally. But notice that the snake is trying to get Eve to work to become something she already is. Identity. And from this time on, from this day on, Genesis chapter 3, man has submitted himself to external identity. What tells me who I am based upon external situations? So now, instead of who I am determining what I do, what I do tells me who I am. And now we take on the labels and we take on uh, uh, the, the identities that the world places on us rather than becoming who we are, knowing who we are in Christ. I, I, I mean, I, I, it just, it's disappointing, to be honest with you. Even in my own life, times that I'll say something and I'll recognize I just identified myself as that. Parents that call their children things that doctors label them. They are that. You ever notice that? It's never they have that. It's they are that. 
they are slow or they are hyper or they they are special needs. It's an R. It's an identity. It, it's, it's something now that engrosses everything. And we take on those labels so quickly, so easily. We easily receive and easily accept those labels. But then when we read the word of God and he tells you that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, we have such a hard time with that. Like, oh, no, I, I, there's no way. I, I'm just a sorry sinner saved by grace. I mean, God doesn't see me as righteous. There, there's no way I could be holy before God. I mean, I'm, I'm just a broken individual, and, and, and there's no way I could ever live up to, to God's standards. There's no way I could ever be the, the, the husband that I know God. You know, and, and we just take on these labels that the world throws at us, but then when we get in this word that is more true, you become the identity of the report you believe. This is the root. This is the root issue. This is the root issue. We continue on in Genesis chapter 3. And, and, and we, we, we just see this turn so quickly. Verse 4 again. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. They're already like God. You're already like God, Eve. You don't need a piece of fruit to tell you you are like God. God deemed you like him the second he put you in the planet. There's nothing you could ever do to be more like God. There's nothing that you could ever, there, there's no amount of fruit that you can eat that will make you more like God. But see what the enemy does. He attacks the identity because he knows if he attacks your identity, you will not do or fulfill what you were accomplished to do. You will compromise your assignment every time you bow to your identity. Your assignment is compromised. Your purpose for existing in this world is compromised every time we lower ourselves to an external identification rather than the internal. It doesn't matter how many marriages you've been through. It doesn't matter the past and the addictions that you've been through. It doesn't matter all the broken relationships you've had. It doesn't matter how many jobs you've went through. It doesn't matter how quickly you spend money or how much you save money. It doesn't matter what your background, where you grew up. None of it creates the internal identity of who you are. And if you would recognize who you are on the inside, you would live it out on the outside. But yet we allow all these Internal parameters to determine who we are. I'm not big enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not small enough. I'm not tall enough. I'm not short enough. I'm not quick enough. I'm not fast enough. I'm not slow enough. And we have all these I am not enough. You fill in the blank. That's not how God designed us to operate. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. Identity. I recently heard someone teach along these lines and he said that that word naked you could actually take it back to the root and it means shameful and condemned 
That's really what that word means. It doesn't just refer to uh, existing in this world without clothing on the outside. It's talking about a spiritual condition. In a moment, their identity was stolen. And in a moment, they entered an identity crisis that now they call themselves. Look, it continues. It, it, it goes on. And they heard. or No, verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. And they knew that they were naked. They bought into the identity that the world told them they were. And then look what they do. Just like we do. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. They tried to cover themselves up using external measures. And there is no external natural measure that will ever change your identity. We still do the same thing today. We use external measures in our lives to cover up our faults, to cover up our failures. We, 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 we spend more money than we should to cover up the fact that we are trying to look like something. You know how much money we spend on trying to prove something to other people. It, it has no purpose to us whatsoever. Other than the fact that they see me driving in that car and they see me living in that house and they see me wearing that. And, and I'm not saying those things are wrong, but the motivation for most is an identity crisis. They are not secure in who they are. They are insecure. They are insecure in who they are. They made themselves coverings and they heard the sound of the Lord. God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. They hid themselves from the very one that they were in the image of. How do you hide from the one that you are the image of? You don't see yourself as that image anymore. See, this is why the word tells us that we can boldly and confidently come before Jesus now. Why? Because I'm in his image. I look just like him. Everything he is, he put on me. But when I don't see myself that way, I want to hide and shame. And condemnation now come over my life because I've taken on an image contrary to the image that he is. See, if I know I'm just as good as you in a sport or in a, in, in, in a game or, or anything competitively, I, I, there, there's a security there. I'm, I'm better than you or I know that I'm just as good as you. But if I'm not, there, there's, a, there's, there, you know, there's, there's a hesitancy in my approach. But see, when I walk into the throne room of God and I know who I am in Christ, then there's a bold confidence. I'm not saying you go barging in there just making all kinds of demands and, God, you better do this. But, but you have a confidence within you that he's already promised you stuff and I'm righteous. That's why it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because if I will make his righteousness a priority in my life, then all the things that he wants for me will come and find me. And I won't have to run my life around trying to find it, chasing those things to make myself identify with what he's already given to me. All right, this is heavy for a Wednesday night. I should have preached about joy or 
walking on water or something is good, amen? They heard the sound of the Lord God that walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? He's not asking, Where are you? Because he couldn't find him. He wanted to see what their level of identification was. So he said, I heard your voice. You know that, that, that voice that I used to come running to. That voice that I used to answer to. That voice that the, the minute you spoke something, I did it. I sprung into action. I made it happen. I heard your voice. And I was afraid. Because I was naked, it's his identity now, shamed, condemned, fearful. And he said, who told you that you were naked? In essence, what he's saying is, who told you you were shamed? Who told you you were condemned? Because that didn't come from me. That's not the identity I gave you. You've now taken on an identity that's contrary to the identity I put on you. I created you in the image. But you went after something else to try to determine your identity when I've already given you all the identity you'll ever need. Guys, this epidemic is still happening in the church today. This is still happening in the church today. Today, we are getting people into the kingdom of God, and then we're letting them figure out who they are on their own. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I want to end it on a good note. I don't want to end it there. End it on a good note. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Everybody smile. Come on. Show the teeth. Chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This is your identity. This is who we are in Christ Jesus. You are that. Do you realize from the day that you prayed the Lord's Prayer and, and, and you, you, you made him the Lord of your life, not just salvation, not just boo-hooing and crying and snot flying and, 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 and feeling sorry for stuff, but the day you said, Lord, you've got to be in control. I can't do it on my own anymore. The day you made that call, there is nothing else from that day forward that you can do to be more like him. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing he can do. He's done it all. It's over. It's complete. Your identity is secure in him. Look at this in the Amplified Version. Look at this passage in the Amplified. Therefore, if any person is engrafted. I don't have any farmers in here because they're all plucking stuff up out of the ground right now. But if I did, they could really explain to you what it means to be engrafted. Maybe, Matt, you know a little bit about grafting. But when you engraft, you join it together. That means they become one. We're one in Christ the Messiah. He is a new creation, a new creature all together. Guys, I'm not here to tell you that when you came into the kingdom, you got a new paint job. I'm telling you, you became a new vehicle that never even existed before. 
That is how brand new you are. That's what your new identity is. The old, previous, moral, spiritual condition has passed away. Behold, the fresh and new has come. Look at this in uh, backing up to verse 16 in the message. It says this. We'll close with this. Because of this decision, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. But isn't that what our world does? The reason why we ask, what do you do, is because I want to know who you are. Because if you tell me you're a personal trainer, or if you tell me you're a baker, or if you tell me that you do this, or you tell me, I mean, I mean, we have now, we, we have people that are afraid to even answer that question. Or, you know, if you're like looking on monster.com, they have pretty words for those things. Like they dress it up a little bit so it doesn't sound as, you know, mediocre. But we're not tied up by those things. Our title and what we do doesn't identify us. He says we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. We look at the Messiah that way once and got it all wrong. Isn't that what they did to Jesus? A king? Wait, born born in a stable? Not a king? Not a mansion, not a palace, not a kingdom. Are you sure? I mean, isn't that what happened in Mark chapter 6 when he went back home to all his brothers and his sisters and his family and said, wait a minute, isn't that Jesus, the carpenter? Didn't he build me a bed one time, didn't he? He made our, he made our dining room table. He, he, can't, he can't do powerful things. What's all these signs and wonders? What's all this authority he's talking about? He's just a mere carpenter. And they receive nothing from him. No, but he says, we certainly don't look at him that way anymore. Now we look where? Inside. And what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start, is created new. The old life is gone. A new life burgeons. Look at it. All this comes from the God who settled the relationship between us in him, and then called us to settle our relationships with each other, God put the world square with himself through the Messiah. I'm telling you tonight, you don't want to miss these next several Wednesdays. Our identity is ruined. If we can secure our identity, I want to help the identity crisis. And look, uh, uh, I know that that term is given as a psychological term to how adolescents deal with life. I understand that, but this is way bigger. When we get into our spiritual identity, all of us at some point spiritually identify incorrectly. And we have to adjust that. We have to adjust that. Many of the problems that we experience in life are rooted in how we see ourselves. How we see our identity. And I want to see us overcome. Father, we thank you tonight. We thank you tonight for this word. We thank you that you have already secured our identity. You have already told us who we are in Christ. But may we own that. May we buy into that. May we, may we come to fully know 
who you created us to be so that we can do what you've called us to do. Father, we know that our assignment is compromised every time we lose our identity. But Father, I thank you that we will identify with you. We will identify with your son. We will identify with the price that you paid for us. Father, I thank you that because of that, we will see victory in our life. We will see overcoming in our life. We will see answers to things that we've been believing for. Father, we won't won't bow down to the world's external ideas of us, but we will recognize that who we are in Christ is on the inside, and we will live it out from the inside out. And we give you glory and praise for this. I thank you that you open open our eyes, open our minds to the Scripture as we walk through this. We give you glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.